Good morning. For y'all that don't know me, my name is Dick Moore. I'm one of the members here, and I get the opportunity to preach every now and again. Bear with me as I stumble through this as best I can. Let's start with a prayer. Dear Lord, please lead me and my words to be what you would have me convey to this congregation. Open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to your spirit. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I usually like to start out the sermon with a joke. I didn't have one. But Lord provided, Pastor Linda gave me one this morning. She said, uh, when they interview people for, to, to whether or not they're going to become pastors, one of the questions they like to ask them is, what do you think of the second coming? And if the applicant says, I don't know, they say, right answer. Well, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, all people, all cultures have an end-of-time story that goes along with them. The North mythology is full of it. The Greeks, the Hindu religion has an end time. The Muslim religion has an end time. The Jews have an end time, the day of the Lord. And we as Christians, we have the second coming. I remember the first time as an adult where I really got a little bit worked up about the second coming. I was a freshman or a sophomore in college when it happened. It was the early to mid-70s range, and somebody had put out this thing. It was covered by the newspapers that the second coming of Jesus Christ, the world was going to come to an end on this day. And we're all, I didn't think a lot about it, but I got to admit, it caused me a little bit of anxiety, and I'm kind of watching it, and that day comes, and that day goes, and nothing happened. Well, there's some folks that are saying that the second coming is imminent now. I read some things in the, in the paper or on the internet. I mean, we had the blood moon in September, uh, the climate change, the wars in the Middle East, the terrorism spreading out all over the globe. Maybe the second coming is coming now. You know, we can try to predict the second coming, but you know, it cannot be done. Only God knows when the second coming is going to occur. Even Jesus says himself, when his disciples ask him, when will these things happen? And he says, I don't know. Only God knows. I mean, when will it happen? Will it happen in my lifetime? I don't know. Will it happen as I'm giving this sermon, as I'm speaking these very words? I guess not. <laughs> but it will come. You know, it may not happen in my lifetime, but you know, it, it didn't happen just now, but it may happen on my ride home. It may happen that somebody runs a red light and I'm killed in a traffic accident. Well, you know what? That's the second coming for me. My life on this earth has changed and it's gone and I'm no longer here. 
It's true that that's not Jesus coming to me, it's me going to Jesus, but the end result for me as an individual is exactly the same. As the joke implied, Presbyterians, as Presbyterians, we don't get too caught up in the second coming. Kind of don't really like to talk about it all that much. And I told Pastor Linda, I'd like to try and follow the lectionary, and I always get the hard ones, it seems like. (laughs) Uh, This second coming thing, it's a hard thing, but there is an innate curiosity about it. I taught senior high high school here for quite a long time, And we'd like to let the students kind of pick their topics. Every year, somebody wanted to study the book of Revelations. Now, that is one hard book to understand. And the reason it's hard to understand, at least one of the reasons is, it's a book of prophecy. Any prophecy is hard to understand. Trying to understand God's motives and God's actions are beyond us. We can understand part of it, but not all of it. When I was going over this sermon, sitting in my easy chair, just reading it over, my dog is sitting there staring at me. Now, that dog is wondering why I am not throwing the ball, why I am not taking her for a walk, why am I sitting there staring at a piece of paper? That dog has no understanding whatsoever about what I was doing. We're kind of God's dogs in a sense. We don't understand. He's doing things that we don't have a clue what they're about. But they are God's plan and they will be fulfilled. The other thing that makes it hard to understand this prophecy stuff is this time factor. When? When? See, God isn't limited by time. God lives in eternity. God functions in eternity. Eternity is timelessness. We're stuck here in time. And trying to understand his time is impossible for us because he doesn't function that way. Now, Jesus was, among other things, other than being our Savior, who came here to save us from our sins, died on the cross, and was resurrected for us, he was also a prophet. And the New Testament reading today is one of his prophecies. And hand in hand, Jesus prophesies about the destruction of Jerusalem and about his second coming. And he says, it's all going to happen within one generation. Now, the destruction of Jerusalem did happen some 40 years after his crucifixion. The Romans came in and destroyed it. But the second coming did not. Now, how do we explain that? This is one of the, I don't know. I mean, some people say the second coming began when he was resurrected. That was the start of it. Some people say it was when Pentecost occurred and the Holy Spirit came down. I don't know. I don't understand. One thing I know for sure, Jesus wasn't wrong. So maybe I just can't understand it. 
But the early Christians did believe that Jesus Christ was coming back in their lifetimes. They believed it, without a doubt. Maybe they were supposed to believe that. Maybe believing that Jesus' return is imminent is part of being a good Christian. Maybe being on constant watch is what we need to keep on track. Maybe the lack of watching for Jesus is part of the reason that Christianity has, in some cases, become a little bit stale. How much differently would we live and conduct ourselves in this world if we thought Jesus' return was going to happen at any second? Some of y'all that know me know I like country music. Now, there's a song by Tim McGraw that I particularly like, and it's called Live Like You Were Dying. And it's a song about a man who gets a diagnosis that he's got terminal, a terminal illness and how he deals with it. And the way he deals with it is he goes, he says, I'm going to write a bull called Fu Manchu, and I'm going to decide that taking my father fishing isn't quite such an imposition. He changes his attitudes about what he's going to do and how he's going to treat other people. Jesus always talked about living for today living in the moment. Don't worry about tomorrow. Focus on right now. He always talked about you'll never enter the kingdom of God unless you come like a little child. One of the great attributes of a child is they live for right now. They don't worry about where their clothes are coming from, where their food's coming from, where they're going to sleep tonight. They live for the moment. Now, does this mean that we're not to do any planning for tomorrow? No, I'm not suggesting that. I'll be 63 in about a month or so, and I want to retire. You can't do that unless you plan a little bit. You know, there is kind of a, a breakup, a, a dichotomy between some of the spiritual and some of the world. I mean, Jesus says, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and give unto God that which is God's. I mean, there are some differences. Even the squirrels are planning for winter. They're gathering up their nuts right now. I mean, we're smart as squirrels, I guess. I hope. One of the problems in the early church was that, one of the small problems was that some of these folks that thought the return was imminent said, well, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do anything. And Paul says clearly in one of his letters in addressing that very issue, if you don't work, you don't eat. We're not supposed to just lay down and wait and nothing else happen. God himself has a plan. He's been doing a plan for 5,000 years. He started his plan when he picked Abraham. And the plan for the redemption of our souls began 5,000 years ago. So I'm not suggesting that no planning is necessary. But living as if Jesus' return will happen at any time, that's a spiritual thing. That's something we need to do for our spiritual lives. But it does still affect the way we were, are in the world. 
I mean, it affects the way we treat other folks and the way we expect things. I mean, look at the first Thessalonian reading for today. What jumps out at you? I'm looking at it, you know. Joy, prayer, um, faith. But what jumps out at me more than anything else is love. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Love. What is love? Now, that's a hard word to define. I love my family. I love my country. I love many things. I, like, I love good, good Italian food. Okay? But what does love really mean? See, it's kind of confusing for us. We only have one word for love. The Greeks had four. Four words for love. There's phila, which is brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Brotherly love, not in the sense of family, but brotherly love as in the sense of community, a band of brothers, a team working together. The word for family love is story. The love of your family, the blood relationship, which is sometimes sorely tested at a Thanksgiving Day dinner. There's eros, the love between a man and a woman. And then there's agape, agape love. That's the love that God has for us. Agape love is love. It doesn't first, it doesn't require a relationship like brotherhood or family or a man and a woman. It's not you have to like the person. Agape love is wanting the best for the other person wanting nothing but the best for them. And it doesn't matter whether they like you or you like them. God's agape love is for everybody. God loves even the people that hate him. Jesus Christ didn't come into this world to save the righteous people. He didn't come into this world to save the good people. He didn't come into this world to save, well, the ones that aren't too bad. He came into the world to save everybody. The agape love is for everyone, even people that we look at as evil. And we're required as Christians to demonstrate that kind of love too. Agape love even towards our enemies. Now, this is confusing. I don't know all these answers. But somebody might say, well, does that mean we're to be doormats? No. Jesus Christ was never a doormat. Are we to not protect those that we love and cherish? Absolutely not. There's no preaching on those lines in the Bible. Jesus Christ began his ministry when he was 30, and the theory is, and I think it's probably well-founded, that he, did, he waited that long because... Joseph was gone, and he needed to set up that family and take care of that family as the oldest son until they were ready for him to go out on his own. I don't know all those answers, but I do know this, that the only way to conquer evil and hate 
is with love. I think the best example of it was the two world wars that we had. The best worldly example is the two world wars we had last century. The first world war, Germany got conquered, and the Allies put them right under their heel put stiff restrictions on them, all kind of reparations. And what happened? The greatest evil of that century, Nazism, as far as I'm concerned anyway, grew out of that. And we had to fight another world war. What happened after the second world war? Instead of putting somebody under, we went in there and we rebuilt Germany. That was part of the plan. And what's happened because of that? The Germans, the French, the English, and us are now the best of friends. We're allies together. If we would have treated Germany the same way we did in World War II, none of that would have happened. We got problems in other parts of the world now. And I think we need to think about that as an example. Only God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, can lead us to the love that we need to be victorious by looking for and to God every second of every minute of every day we maintain a relationship with him we're connected to him by looking for Jesus to return at any second we maintain that relationship with Lord Jesus In the end, God, who is love, will be victorious. I know that. When he comes, I do not know. But he will. But until then, don't worry about yesterday. It's come and gone. There's nothing you can do about it. Don't worry about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But if you live each day with God in hope and in faith and in love, it'll make every yesterday a lovely memory. And every tomorrow will be filled with hopeful expectations. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen.